19, and I'll read the entire psalm. Listen to, once again, to the reading of God's holy word. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven, and its circuit to the other end. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is pure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, His Word. O gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks for your blessing upon us. We thank you for the gift of your Word as we consider your revelation to us. And what a great uh, privilege it is that you have so revealed yourself to us. And so we just ask that your Spirit would be with us and uh, drawing us closer to yourself, giving us understanding and insight to the truth of your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, truly one of the great things that we can be thankful for is that God has revealed himself to us. All the way back in the the Garden of Eden, after God created all things, and then he created mankind, God revealed himself to Adam and Eve. They knew that God was there. They knew He created them. They knew what purpose He had in store for them. And they knew what duty and obligation He required of them. They knew because God had revealed these things to them. And so we rejoice that God has revealed Himself. Well, in Psalm 19, we see that God has... um, or that he continues to reveal himself to mankind in two key ways. In a very general way, God reveals himself to all mankind, letting them know that he alone is the creator of heaven and earth. And then in a special way, God reveals himself to all those who are his, those who would believe in Christ and trust in him for salvation. But before we consider these two revelations, it's important to consider the graciousness of God's revelation and really the great privilege we have of knowing God through His revelation. In another psalm, in Psalm 138, the psalmist sings, Though the Lord is on high, yet He regards the lowly. 
Consider for a moment that great thought. God is the sovereign creator of all things. And He truly dwells on high. And His thoughts are not our thoughts. In fact, His thoughts are so numerous that they outnumber the grains of sand on a beach. But this mighty, all-knowing, and all-powerful God truly regards the lowly and that He has revealed Himself to us, the lowly creatures that we are. God's revelation of Himself to us is purely a gift of His good grace. He certainly could have uh, left Adam and Eve in the garden, in the dark, so to speak. He could have not said anything to them. He could have let them figure out to the world and themselves and their purpose on their own. But no, God was gracious. And out of His abounding love for His creation, and in order to serve the purpose to have all that He created glorify Him, He spoke to Adam and revealed Himself to him and gave meaning and purpose to his life. But not only this, because God has revealed Himself to mankind, well then that means that God is actually knowable. right? That we can know things about God. We can know about His character and His attributes. We can know about His works and, and all that He has, uh, uh, has done. But there are limits to this knowledge. Because you see, God is infinite. And we're finite. We can't know everything there is to know about God. The Lord, through the prophet Isaiah, declares, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, God is so much bigger than we are, We can't possibly know Him fully. The Apostle Paul makes this very same point when uh, summarizing the great mystery of God's sovereign will and, and His purpose and His decree of election when he says in Romans 11, Oh, the depths of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become His counselor? So it's impossible for us as creatures, not just because of our sinful natures, but merely because of our creatureliness, it's impossible for us to know God completely or fully. But, praise God, that we can know Him truly. We can know Him truly because He has been pleased to reveal Himself to us. And as we turn to Psalm 19, we see the first way that He reveals Himself to us is through His creation. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. Now, if all mankind were just suddenly became silent toward God and if they refused to acknowledge Him and they refused to praise Him or even to simply call out His name, well, there would still, or there would be no silence because all the creation would still praise him and proclaim his glory and his majesty the psalmist uses the heavens as an awesome example of the creation praising and glorifying God they tell of his glory and declare the works of his hands day after day speech is poured forth as we see in verse 2 but then look at verse 3 
<clears throat> there is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. So we may wonder, what is David trying to say here? Well, first we note that he is using uh, what's called an anthropomorphism. Right? And that ascribes to the heavens what only man can do. Right? Anthropomorphism is uh, ascribing to an object uh, something that uh, about man. And so here it's describing to the he- ascribing to the heavens something that only man can do. Only man can speak by telling and declaring. The heavens don't really speak words. And so we see here that it's not a verbal declaration. But David has in mind here really more of a visual declaration, right? The majesty and beauty of the heavens and all of creation cries out praise to their creator. And this is similar to how Paul describes the creation suffering under the curse of sin in Romans 8. He says, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Now the earth doesn't literally and audibly groan. But it does let us know it's suffering under the curse of the fall by its earthquakes, by its hurricanes and tornadoes and tsunamis and other destructive forces that reveal the effects of sin over all of creation. And so the declaration of the creation is something that is clearly seen rather than heard. And again, Paul confirms this in Romans 1, the passage that we read earlier. He says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And so God's revelation is seen through the creation, what has been made by him. This is a general revelation of God that all can see and all can behold. God has revealed himself to all mankind through creation. But because God has revealed himself through not only the initial act of creation, but also the continued working and sustaining of creation, well then as Paul notes here, then all men are truly without excuse. Right? So no one can claim ignorance that God never revealed himself because it's clearly seen in the creation around us. Paul goes on to argue that sinful mankind actually uh, actively suppresses this truth and exchanges it for a lie, worshiping and serving the creature and the creation rather than the creator. But the fact that they suppress doesn't take away from the reality that the truth is still there to see and behold. Well, this uh, passage in Romans 1 also shows us exactly what it is that the creation declares. It declares God's power and His divine nature. From the most beautiful sunset to uh, the amazing workings of the human body, even to the unique designs and patterns found in snowflakes, to the precise timing of the tides, the creation reveals a Creator, His power and His glory. And this is what David means when he sings that the heavens declare God's glory. God's glory is His power in nature. It's it's the reality of His being. 
and through the creation it's revealed to us that there is indeed a God, a supernatural being, an intelligent designer who has clearly left evidence of his existence for all of mankind to see, and as Paul said, he has left them without excuse. Indeed, the evidence is very clear, and we see it all the time. Psalm 19, verse 2, Day to day and night to night, the speech and knowledge about God the Creator pours or, or gushes forth like a stream of water. It's, it's inescapable. It's all around us. And so again, when we see a glorious sunrise or sunset or a brilliant rainbow, the, the great expanse of a starry sky at night, or the natural beauty of the creation all around us, when we consider these things and we feel a sense of awe and amazement, well, it's that sense of awe and amazement which is the declaration of the creation speaking to us that God is, that He created, and that He is being glorified by His creation. And so when we have that sense of awe, the creation, the message of the creation is getting through to us. And God's nature or being has been revealed but we also see in these God's power and the results of His power. Right? Who has the power to set the moon and the sun and the stars in place? Who has the power to set the, the, um, the earth in such a precise position that if it were just, uh, you know, just a hair's breadth closer, closer to the sun, well then it would be too hot all over the earth. And if it were just a, a, a smidgen further away, it would be too cold. Certainly all this couldn't have come about by mere chance, as evolutionists would suppose. But the all-powerful God has perfectly placed the earth in the heavens to specifically and especially sustain life of all forms. God's awesome power and the reality of His being are clearly seen in the creation. Yet there are limits to this revelation. And did we know it's true as, as Paul also informs us that though this, uh, through, though this proclamation of evidence is clearly seen, it's not ne- recognized by all men. Right? Not because they can't see it, but again because they refuse to see it. And they refuse to acknowledge its truth. They actively suppress the truth of this revelation and they exchange it for a lie. And they would rather serve and worship the creature rather than the creator. And so the clear proclamation of the heavens and the creation attesting to the glory of God is willingly suppressed by sinful man. But again, Paul is clear. Even if they suppress this truth, they're still without excuse. God will still hold them accountable to the fact that they denied His revelation of Himself. And so they are without excuse. But even if one did acknowledge this true revelation, it can only take them so far. In fact, there are many who are stuck really at this very point. Now, uh, I'm sure many of you heard about you know, intelligent design and, and uh, scientists, some scientists talking about intelligent design. It's a kind of a, a movement. It's made a lot of progress and, uh, and helping... Uh, people to understand that this all wasn't just by random chance. And the emphasis is simply that the world around us reveals an intelligent designer. 
But essentially, that's as far as intelligent design can take us. You see, there are many who believe in an intelligent designer, but they don't make the connection to the Lord God. There are some who assert that the intelligent designers were aliens who came and they built this world. But then, of course, you'd have to ask them, well, where did those aliens come from? Who designed them? And so eventually, you, even if we're aliens, you'd have to get back to God. So they don't make the connection either because they don't have, they don't accept God's special revelation. See, the general revelation of God through creation clearly shows His, His glorious power and His divine nature, but it doesn't show the fullness of who He is. It doesn't speak of His love, His mercy, His faithfulness, and His grace. Now, in order to understand these things and truly know our Creator, the one true living God, we need something more than general revelation. We need God's special revelation given to us in His Word, the Bible. And David now shifts shifts to this subject in in verses 7 through 10. The law of the Lord is perfect. So in the creation we have a real and true revelation of God, but in the word we have a more and short, uh, sure and certain revelation. Of a revelation that's perfect and true, a revelation that uh, gives to us a clearer, more complete picture of God who created all things. The general revelation of creation is inadequate to reveal to us our desperate uh, sinful state. It can't show us that we're in need of salvation. It doesn't tell us of God's love and mercy toward the undeserving sinner. It doesn't proclaim the truth of Christ's coming, His death and resurrection, and His plan to secure salvation for His people. From creation we can't glean encouragement, strength, or comfort. We can't find reassurance and hope and victory. These things we can only discover in God's special revelation in His Word. But it's important to note that these two revelations, the general revelation and the special revelation, that they're not opposed to one another. Now the Scriptures don't contradict what we discover in creation, and what we discover through observation of the creation lines up time and again with what we find in the pages of Scripture. And so David points here, his point here of introducing the Word of God isn't to make a distinction of opposites, but it's rather to move from that very general revelation to that more specific revelation of God. And David does this by giving a series of terms that though they have different shades of meaning, they all are very much related to God's Word or His law. And each term he gives corresponding characteristics and an activity. <clears throat> and so in verse 7, the law, the law of the Lord is perfect and it restores or converts the soul. The perfection of the law means that it's in accord with truth and fact. There are no holes or gaps in the law of God. It's complete. And this perfect law has a certain power present that's not made known and revealed in the creation. It's the power of the Word of God to bring a sinner to repentance. The Word of God, when accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit, will restore and convert or reconcile a sinner with the Lord God. The Word leads us to salvation. And this was Paul's emphasis in Galatians 3 when he said that the law is our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith 
See, the creation can't lead you to Christ, but the Word of God can. Secondly, we note that the testimonies of the Lord are sure and, and make wise the simple. Now, a testimony is a true witness. It's truth attested by God Himself. And the truth that God reveals in His Word is sure. It's self-confirming and it's self-evident. And so with such clarity, the Word of God is able to bring about great wisdom. And again, Paul reminds Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Truly, godly wisdom leads to salvation in Christ. And then in verse 8, the precepts or statutes of the Lord are right. That is, they're, they're straight and they're forward, or they're straightforward and they, they're just and they rejoice the heart. So God doesn't pull any punches, right? He has no surprises. He has revealed to us clearly and plainly what we need to know about Him, about ourselves, and what He expects of us. And this brings great joy to our hearts. Again, because we don't have to try and guess what it is that pleases God. He has shown us what is good and what He requires of us. He desires that we do justly, that we love mercy, and that we walk humbly with Him. We couldn't have discovered this through general revelation. But through God's Word we can. And so we then delight to do God's will as we treasure His law in our hearts. Next, the commandments of the Lord are pure and clean and they bring light to our eyes. We are blinded by sin and darkness. There was no hope or being able to see. And yet by His grace and mercy, God reveals to us the gospel truth of His Word. And our eyes are suddenly opened by the power of the Holy Spirit. We suddenly become aware of our sinfulness and our need for salvation. And we find in the pages of the Scriptures the light of the world who has gone before us. And if we would follow Him, we would no longer walk in darkness, but we would walk in His light, in the light that only He provides, the light of life. In verse 9, we have the fear of the Lord. Now this is not necessarily a synonym for the law, but we remember the words of Solomon that it's the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of knowledge. A reverential fear is an appropriate response that we ought to have in relation to God. Such reverence and the knowledge that flows from it endure forever and ever without end. And the judgments of the counsel of the Lord are true and reliable and each each and every one of them reveals God's righteousness. The judge of all the earth does indeed do what is right and good and just. He makes no mistakes and His word is true and reliable. We can depend upon what God has revealed to us. And then finally in verse 10, as a way to summarize the perfection, surety, uh, cleanness, the purity and the truth of God's Word, David emphasizes its great worth. And he does this by comparing the Word to things that are most excellent in their own right. Nothing is more valuable than than gold and nothing is sweeter than, than fresh honey. But the worth and value of the Word of God is greater than both. And note especially here how both of these items that he uses to illustrate this point are items of the creation. Right? Gold and, and honey would declare the glory of God. 
But the word of God is far is a far surpassing revelation, even over this creation. The word of God alone reveals the way, the truth, and the life. And so, indeed, it is a most excellent way. But as with the revelation of creation, not everyone receives the revelation of God's word the same way. The one who suppresses the truth of God found in the creation will also most likely suppress and deny the truth of God's word. And so the witness that the word of God brings, the light that it shines in the darkness, the wisdom that it grants, and the purity it contains stands as an even greater testimony against those who hear and yet do not believe. And this was exactly Jesus' point when he condemned the cities of Israel. In Matthew 11, he says, And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have, been, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. See, the people of Sodom only had the general revelation of God. And they suppressed it. And they rejected it and they perverted it. And we remember how they were destroyed. But the Jews in Capernaum not only had the creation, but they had the laws of God. They even had the very Word of God become flesh dwelling among them and doing great miracles in their midst, teaching them. And they still rejected They still rejected Him. And so their responsibility is far greater. And so too, those who hear the word of God and do not obey its commands to repent and believe the gospel of Christ. And this is the warning that David talks about here in in verse 11. But to those who do believe and trust in Christ, there is great reward indeed. Again, notice in verse 11 that it's not just keep the law of God and you will be rewarded, but he says actually in keeping, in the very process of keeping the law, there is great reward. When we seek to be obedient to the word of God, we don't just do it to get the result, to get a reward. No, we ought to be obedient because in the very keeping of God's word, there is a reward of, of assurance and of hope and of mercy and of grace. That builds us up and strengthens us. And of course, knowing that it also pleases our God so that we might accomplish all things for His glory. And so this is the proper response to God and His revelation. And uh, David demonstrates this for us in verses 12 to 14. After considering both the general revelation of God and how it so clearly reveals and glorifies God, and then the special revelation of God's Word that brings wisdom, knowledge, truth, sight, and salvation, David is moved to seek the mercy of God as he suddenly comes face to face with his own faults, errors, and transgressions against God. And so he pleads for mercy, not only for for those sins which he has now been made aware of, but also of any hidden sin or faults that he may not yet know of. For knowledge of sin comes through the law of God. 
But David also looks to the future in verse 13 and and seeks the all-sufficient grace of God that he might be kept back from presumptuous sins, that is, sins that we would commit on purpose. Those sins that we boldly do in defiance of God's revelation to us. David wants the strength of God's grace to overcome sin rather than have that sin overcome him. Pleading for the mercy and grace of God, only then does David have the assurance that he shall be made right in God's sight, being justified by faith in Christ Jesus. And only then does he understand that his praise and glory of the Lord will be acceptable before God. So there's an interesting contrast, if you will, between what we see in verse 14 and what we began with in verse 1. In verse 1, the heavens were declaring the glory of God, and the great expanse was telling of God's handiwork. But now, at the end of the psalm, it's David himself who is praising the name of the Lord, acknowledging Him as His rock and Redeemer. Having seen God and His power and glory revealed in the creation, and having been changed and converted and conformed to the image of Christ through the law of God and the Word of God, So just as God perfectly designed the creation, so too through Jesus Christ, He perfectly designed the new creation, the converted soul, the enlightened man who once walked in ignorance and darkness. And so friends, how do you now respond to God's revelation to you? Do you respond by hardening your hearts and suppressing the truth that God has so clearly revealed to you in His creation and in His Word? Or do you even now respond in faith by the grace and mercy of God and give praise to God for His awe-inspiring handiwork in creation and rejoice with great gladness because of His work of new creation in you through Jesus Christ? Because know this, that by these words... As David says here, you are truly and unmistakably warned and are now without excuse. But remember also that in keeping these gospel words of truth, there is great reward, both now and in all eternity, to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. O gracious God in heaven, we again praise you and thank you, Father, for the gift of your revelation to us, that you created all things and and especially through the redeemed eyes we can see the glory and the magnificence of your power and your wisdom manifested through your creation. And we're truly just left awed and amazed by it all. And yet we also praise You and thank You, Lord, that You didn't just stop there, but that You also revealed Yourself to us in a special way. That You have given us Your Holy Word. That we might know of our own sinful condition. That we might know of You and Your uh, character in more uh, detail. That we can know You truly. That we can know the way of salvation that You provided for us through Your own Son, Jesus Christ. That we might now even know how we are to live, to serve and glorify You, and what our true purpose in life is. 
So we praise you and thank you that you have been so gracious to us in revealing yourself to us through your creation and through your word. And we especially thank you for the salvation that you have given to us through Christ. And so we just pray that you would continue to help us declare the glory of your name through the revelation that you have given, pointing others to the truth, to your truth, as you have revealed yourself in both your creation, but especially in your word, that they may come to know you and come to glorify your name, even as we do. So we again praise you and thank you, Father, for these things. And again, we thank you for just the Lord's Day and the great gift that it is for us. And we ask that you would be with us as we go about our usual activities and duties this week, that we truly might be equipped to bring all glory and honor and praise to your name in all that we do. As we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.